Hallelujah, the art of worship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as I began to study, I began to realize that God has been dealing with me in my personal worship life, trying to take me back. Hallelujah. Trying to take me back to my first love where I, I first started. And sometimes if you are not attentive to the Holy Spirit, you will miss. You will miss all of the glimpses that God is trying to give you. Hallelujah. Even if I, as I stand here, God continues to remind me of what he's trying to do in my life. A couple of weeks ago, my wife went to America's and when she walked into Brother Roosevelt's house, he had a church that had a tape on of church in America's. And my wife sent me the video of me praising God in the corner, jumping and shouting for joy. And my wife said, I don't remember the last time you praised God like that. That was a God. Week. That was God. I say, I'm trying to take you back. Hallelujah, but I'm so burdened by some of y'all who stand up in here Sunday after Sunday and you can't even move, you can't even pray to them. Just stop coming to church. Go somewhere else. Jesus, Jesus. I don't want that spirit Jesus. in here no more. Jesus. And we ain't got no visitors in here, so I've got to be talking to y'all. Just go somewhere else. They've been too good to you. Y'all stand up here, y'all come to the altar Sunday after Sunday and there's nothing in for God to move oh, with. Jesus. Nothing for him to touch. Jesus. Nothing for him to spark. Jesus. Just stop coming. Jesus. If it ain't but four of us, I'd rather be four of us that want to praise him. Four of us that want to go higher than to have a house full of people that you got to beg to give God glory. Oh, God. Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Hallelujah. 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 I don't need y'all money. Hallelujah. If, if it's going to be four of us, I can have church in my house. I can let it build and go back to the bank. Hallelujah. I want to do it for real. Hallelujah. Jesus. The art of worship. When we come into this house and give God worship, it's supposed to be transformative. Something is supposed to be transforming in our life. When we cry out to God, when we give God praise, hallelujah, something is supposed to happen in the spiritual. Lord, I thank you. I don't even know if I'm able to get all I got. It never works out how I quite think it's going to work out. Jesus, I planned on speaking to y'all today from the book of Leviticus. Hallelujah, verses 1 through 17. But I got so much on this paper, I'm so, I'm so full right now. Hallelujah, I don't even know if I can make it through everything that God has given me. But the main thing I want you to know is that a lot of things are not moving in your life because you do not worship God. Y'all not worshiping. Worship is supposed to transform something. And in these verses, God is, is, is Jesus. everything that we do, everything that we do is, is, is supposed to mean something to God. From the time you swing your feet over the side of the bed, it's supposed to mean something to God. Down to just saying, order my steps in your word. Every step I take, God, order my steps in your word. It's supposed to mean something. Every action. And so when we read, when we read books like Leviticus, which we often don't read because we, it's too hard to understand. But the whole book is named after the tribe of Levi, which is the priestly tribe. So this book tells you how to be a priestly nation. It teaches you how to worship. How to worship. But we get lost in the symbolism, and that's what a lot of us do, are doing right now. We get lost in the symbolism of church. We come to church because that's what we've been taught to do. We get lost in the symbolism of it. But is it in your heart? Y'all can be seated if you, if you desire. 
Leviticus 1, 1 through 17, or 1. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake to him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. And this introduction is not appealing to most modern readers. And real church is not appealing to most churchgoers. That's why all these churches starting to have screens and smoke and mirrors and camera because they want church to be appealing to people. But Jesus should be appealing all on his own. This introduction isn't appealing. Like you talking about cattle and herds and flocks. I don't own no cattle and herds and flocks, Pastor. So I'm going to go to the Gospels. Because Matthew make more sense to me than Leviticus. But if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to understand the New Testament. Lord, I thank you. To understand the book, you have to realize that these animals represent and were literally more than just animals. God was prepping the people for the idea and the reality of supernatural substitution. If you don't understand the offerings in the Old Testament, you don't understand Jesus' offering in the New Testament. God was prepping them for this idea of substitution and transformation. And the reality is a lot of us got a very shallow faith. That's why we don't understand communion. We don't understand baptism. We don't understand marriage. We don't even understand funerals. Lord, I thank you. All of those things I named, these are transformative moments. Communion. God take bread and wine and transform it into his body. Marriage. God take a man and a woman and make them one flesh, literally. Not symbolically, literally. Right? We don't, you don't understand. Right? A funeral. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Right? If you write, when you say that, you are acknowledging that you are dirt. Right? You come from dirt. If not for the breath that God put in your body. And when you die, your body is going back to the dirt, but your spirit is going to God. That's transformative. When God does something that's supernatural, and we in here acting like he's not a supernatural God. Lord, I thank you. Leviticus is inviting its readers to meet God. And we meet God in worship. That's why God don't talk to some of y'all. Because you don't know how to worship. You think worship is turning on the music in your car. And singing your song and then the tears start flowing. You worshiping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worshiping is so much more than that. The words from this book come directly out of the tent of meeting. I don't read Exodus for that. This was literally the place that God told him to build. He said, I want y'all to build this place for me. Why? So I can meet you there. So I can meet you there. God wants to meet with us. God wants to talk to you. God wants to sit with you. God, like, think about Jesus. He sucked with people. He sat with people. God wants to be where you are, but we don't want to be where he is. That's why we keep running. Lord, I thank you. The journey towards the promised land could not begin or succeed without the revelation that came out of this tent. Y'all trying to go to the promised land and you don't even know how to worship. The journey to the promised land could not begin. Your journey cannot begin until you learn how to worship. And your journey definitely is not going to succeed until you learn how to worship. I need y'all to receive what I'm saying. Don't just listen to, stop looking at me. Listen to what I'm saying. If you got a problem opening up your mouth and saying, something as simple as saying, hallelujah, what you shamed of? What are you shamed of? If you got a problem lifting, you, you ain't got to do all of that. Okay. Tell me why David danced out of his clothes. Tell me why so many people would fall out and rip their clothes in, in, in grief or praise. 
Tell me, tell me why the Bible talks about rocks crying out for people that would not praise God. Tell me why the Bible is full of places where it says, oh my soul, like you can see the yearning in people's voice and they praise. Tell me why when they cross the, the Red Sea, the woman, the women broke out in praise. Right? And that tells me when you don't know how to praise, that means you have never experienced deliverance. You never experienced it. That's why you don't know what to do. You think you deliver, but you're not. Because if you were, you would praise them. The third verse says, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Today, most people think that sacrificing is giving up something of value that we would rather keep unless we are forced to give it up, right? I'm going to make the sacrifice. I would rather be doing this, but I know I should go to church, so I'm going to make the sacrifice. Or I know I would rather do this, but I'm going to make the sacrifice for my wife, right? It's, it's, it's like we would rather not do it, but we'll do it, right? And we do it because we think we're going to get something in return. I would rather do something else, but I'm going to make the sacrifice to go this Sunday because I know I need God to bless me. So we try to make our worship transactional, but that's not how sacrifices work. Yeah. What is described in Leviticus is something totally different. Leviticus calls the offering. Leviticus calls the, the sacrifice a gift. And these gifts came in different sizes, but the main criteria that the gift was brought spontaneously and voluntarily. Spontaneously and voluntarily. Spontaneous. Some of y'all and y'all hear too much to be spontaneous. When the spirit moves, you shut the spirit up because you're too in your head. But when you offer something to God, if you're going to offer a praise to God, it got to be spontaneous. And it got to be voluntary. If you're waiting for other people to pump, to, to pump you up enough to praise, you're waiting for other people to pump you enough to, 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 to go to the altar, you're waiting for other people to set the atmosphere so that you can get a touch, but you're not participating in setting the atmosphere yourself. Real offerings, hallelujah, you give them from the heart. Nobody got to force you to praise them. Nobody got to beg you to praise them. Nobody got to beg you to give a testimony. You got so many testimonies that somebody's got to say, okay, sir, sit down. You're talking to, you got too many. Let somebody else go. That's a worshiper. That's a worshiper. I spend too many Sundays begging, waiting on people to say what God has done for them. Hallelujah. The givers were happy. They were happy to offer something to God that they felt would be of more value to him than to themselves. Right? God, you can do more with this than I can, so I'm going to give it to you. Right? But this was just the beginning. This was just the interest of worship. That's why the word, that third verse, and they just brought it to the door. They had to bring it to the door because they couldn't go all the way in to worship. The priest had to do it. Hallelujah. If you think that doing church is a sacrifice to God, you don't understand worship. Nor will you ever truly be blessed. What we give matters. In my study, and I came across this quote, it says, those that know the exact cost of things often don't know the true cost of anything. Let me read that again for y'all. Those that know the exact cost of things, when you're like, uh-uh, that costs too much, or uh-uh, that's going to... Cost too much of my time. Or, uh-uh, that's, they don't do that for me. I don't pay too much for this, or I don't work too hard for this. I can't get that up. When you got a when you got a a, a, a line next to everything that you have earned and worked for, and you know exactly what the cost was to get it, you really don't understand the cost of anything. Because if you understood the price that God paid for you, it would be nothing that you wouldn't be willing to give up. Nothing that nothing that's too great to give to God if you understood the real cost, if you understood sacrifice for real. It's the story of when Judas rebuked the lady for pouring a perfume on Jesus' feet. Judas knew the cost of the perfume, 
But Jesus understood. He was like, if you really understood what was about to happen, if you really understood the sacrifice that I'm getting ready to make, you will understand that this expensive perfume in this alabaster box can, cannot compare to what I'm getting ready to do. You would have been like, keep pouring it, sis, keep pouring it. That's what you really would have said. Hallelujah. These verses that I'm reading, these were literal animals. But the ritual of sacrifice, the posture and how these people gave these animals literally turned them into something else. The word says it turned them into smoke. They would put the animals on the fire and the animals, these regular animals, would be transformed into smoke. It's the smoke that would reach heaven and please God. It's the smoke that would reach heaven and please God. The animals couldn't get there, but the smoke could. You can't be everywhere, but the smoke can. The smoke that you make from your praise can. The Holy Spirit worshiping cries out for us in ways that our physical bodies can't always do. God is present in the smoke, right? And we going about our day-to-day -day life. That's why all these people selling candles. Because it's something about the smoke. It ain't nothing about the wax. It's something about the smoke. The only thing is they worshiping another God. That's why all these people smoking weed. Because it's something about the smoke. It's something about the smoke. But they worshiping another God. It's something to this smoke thing. Right? Why y'all think they call alcohol spirits? Right? But you're worshiping another God. Lord, I thank you. Even our overindulgence in food, when you smelling that good barbecue or that, that grease and that chicken and them fries, it's something about the smoke. It's something about the smell. And that's why Leviticus says when you make this offering, the smell is pleasing to the Lord. Lord, I thank you. Other nations were out there. Do y'all realize other nations were out there burning their children as offerings to God? They were burning, and this is why God would destroy whole nations of people for their wickedness. All worship ain't real worship. All worship is not real worship, and eventually idol worship will catch up to you. Because these sacrifices always occurred in the tent, the smoke was always present in the tent. If y'all think about Exodus when it's talking about the, the cloud and the pillar of fire resting on the tent, the smoke was always present because praise and worship was always present. Mm -hmm. When you get to the temple and, the, and all of those things and the priests were in there and they had the oil, right? The candles never went out because the priests were always making sure that the candles were lit. You can't expect God to be present in the smoke and there ain't no fire burning. You can't expect God to be present in your life and no worship is occurring. If you want the presence of God where you are, you need smoke. But what are you offering? If Christ was our once and for all sacrifice, then what are you going to offer? God, I'm offering you me. I'm offering you me voluntarily. I'm offering you me spontaneously whenever the need arises. I'm not going to sit back and say, God, I can't do it today. No, if you need me today, I'm going to make time for you today. Amen. And you're not going to have to drag me. You're not going to have to drag me into holiness. I want holiness. You're not going to have to give me a pep talk to be holy. You're not going to have to give me a 10-step plan to be holy. If you just give me you. Lord, I thank you. I offer myself voluntarily and spontaneously because it puts me in the presence of God. This is how we worship Jesus. It has nothing to do with the music. When the smoke, when worship reaches heaven, that's when the transformation occurs. Where there is smoke, there is fire. How you want God to burn up everything that's not like him? It ain't no fire. Nowhere in your life. If you want something to get burned up, it got to be fire. Lord, I thank you. When the smoke reaches heaven, that's where things start to shift in your favor. 
Your worship has to be effective in all seasons. It is easier to start a fire in dry places. When stuff go wrong in your life, that's when y'all want to cry and fall out and praise God. It's easy to get a touch. But it's harder to worship when you're walking in the rain. When the anointing is flowing and blazing, God, they're raining down blessings. Right? Right? And you might be thinking, no, it's, I, I be praising them. I be, I be worshiping passing when stuff going good. No. You be worshiping what he's doing or what he's giving you. You don't be worshiping him. That's why you stop worshiping when your situation changes. You thought you were worshiping, but you were just saying, thank you, God, for what you gave me. But when your situation came, if you lose it or something don't go your way, then your worship stopped. So you were never worshiping God in the first place. You got to love God because of who he is. Then love him for what he does. Then love him for what he does. That's what makes the story of Elijah against the priest of Baal so powerful. Because he called for fire and smoke after Thoroughly, he like he right. He said, "My offering, my sacrifice, wet it up, put water all around it, wet it, wet it." But his worship was so strong that when he called on God, it not only burned the sacrifice, it dried up all the water as well. What should have been easy for their gods was impossible. They called on God all day and nothing happened. Elijah say, "I'm gonna make it difficult for me." And when I call on my God, it's going to be easy for him to do it. I love this story because you have to be willing to put your worship to the test. You have to be willing to put your worship to the test. People going to walk away from you. People going to turn their back on. People going to talk about you and say you mean because you're pursuing holiness. Some of y'all accountability partners, not real accountability partners. You got to be willing to put that friendship to the test by telling the truth. Saying I've been there too or it's okay girl is not true accountability. That's pacifying. That's pacifying. And the ultimate accountability part is the Holy Ghost. Scripture does not explain how the smoke is it, how the smoke begins to transform. It just tells us what to do. It just tells us it's just Leviticus. One just tells us how to cut up the offering and how to set it on fire. It doesn't tell us how it becomes or how it works. But I believe it. I believe that when praises go up, blessings come down. So if you're looking for me to tell you how, I ain't got no answer for it. You're gonna have to take my word for it. The fourth verse says, and he shall put his hand, talking about the person that's bringing the sacrifice, he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. And he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. These verses convey ownership. Why are you worshiping? If you only worshiping him because he spared you from your sins, something is wrong. You just love God because you know you've been cutting up and you still here. So God, I praise you for that. So God, like I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm thankful for the grace and mercy he showed. But is that the only reason? The only reason we love God can't be, can't be because he overlooks our wrongs. That's a love based on what he does for us, not just because of who he is. And I told y'all, love him because of who he is, then love him because of what he does. God, I worship you because of who you are. Y'all know that song? So after they, after, they, after they bring this bull and kill this bull, the sixth verse says that they shall flay, mean cut up, they shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest and Aaron shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is on the altar. And I read like I read that for a reason, because they are there are steps to worship. 
If y'all go back to a few verses when I was reading, like they had to stop on the door because the priest had to do the rest of it. There are steps. That's why sometimes you can just feel a little something, and then other times you can go all the way in. If y'all understand what I'm saying. Sometimes you got to fight to get through the door because Satan is working against you. Right? But that's why we did the challenge. Y'all got too many other things going in your ears and your eyes. You try, you fighting too many things that's blocking your worship. That's why you can't get no fire started. Y'all could some of y'all couldn't even make it the whole month. You, you got too many things blocking you. That's why you can't get no fire started. That sixth verse said that they would lay the wood a certain order. Sometimes you got to get your house in order. You got to throw some stuff away. You got to rearrange some stuff in your life. You got to put certain things in order and certain things and certain people in certain places. You got to arrange stuff to set the atmosphere for you to offer yourself as a sacrifice. Worship involves dying in stages. It involves dying in stages. Yes, dying. Some of y'all are not dead in Christ all the way. Because the idea is that from the ashes of worship, you're going to rise in the smoke. You got to die all the way to be resurrected all the way. What it look like if God resurrect your arm and leave the rest of your body in the grave? You got to die all the way to be resurrected all the way. If you want holiness, if you want wholeness, if you want to walk in the fullness of God, you got to die all the way. All of the stuff that I read to you is happening in the outer courts. You ain't even in the Holy of Holies yet. You in the outer courts. After you present the bull, you, 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 you lay your hand on it, you take ownership of what it's offering, you cut it up, and the priest arrange it, then the priest takes over. That's when Jesus can take over. Jesus can take over when you say, here I am. I'm ready. Here's another quote from my, my study. It says, priestly sensitivity to bloodshed is based on the understanding that the taking of a life, whether animal or human, is a dangerous act. Dying in Christ, getting saved, is a serious act. This part of the sermon came to me last night so strong. When you get saved, when you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. When you say, Lord, you are you the head of my life. When you say, Lord, I belong to you. When you say, forgive me of everything I said wrong, I did wrong. When you, when you sing all of those words, you are doing what Romans 12 and 1 call. You are presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. You are saying, take me, cut me up, reshape me, remold me. I belong to you. You can do whatever you want to do with me. And then Jesus, the high priest, takes you to the Father, gives you access to the Father. Some of y'all thought you were saved. Don't have no access to the Father because you didn't present your whole self as a living sacrifice. You came to God because you were hurt and say, God, take this pain. God say, I took the cross. I don't need no more pain. I want you. You can't. You can. When you got saved, you came because you wanted your relationship to work. God say, I'm the only relationship with me that matters. I don't want that. I don't want your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I want you. You didn't bring the right stuff when you got saved. That's why you don't have no power. Some of us don't even understand what it means to be saved. We just call ourselves a Christian. But when I say who wants to give a life to Christ, don't nobody come to the altar. But as soon as I say who needs something, then everybody come. Everybody come in. 
I like it. It, it, it's, it's at the point now where people are ashamed to be saved. That should be the best part of the service when somebody gives their life to, to, to the Lord. If anything, I, I pray this commitment to somebody today. Because if anybody is hearing this, I want you to understand what it means to be saved. When you give your life to the Lord, something should change. You should not go home and feel like it's okay to do what you've been doing. It should bother you to the point that you weep. God alone sets the boundaries. He sets the mark of where life begins and ends. When something dies or is born, it should happen in the presence of God. Sin distorts this. Worship restores it. When something dies or is born, it should happen in the presence of God. When you have a baby, God should be present. Sin distorts it. That's why we got all these broken homes. Because God went present when y'all made the baby. Life came forth. It's a blessing that God can use. But it's going to be so much pain behind that. Because you was out of order. Just face it. God controls. When you give your life to Christ, the old man is dying and you are literally, when scripture says you become a new creature, I don't understand. He is literally saying you become something new. If you got saved and did not change, you not saved. Sacrifice transforms something. Think about all the ways that we live and die outside of worship. Now we inside the tabernacle. We, in, we, in, we going into the Holy of Holies. The ninth verse says that the inwards and the legs shall be washed in water and the priests shall burn all on the altar to be like a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savior unto the Lord. Washing the entrails of what is offered. I'm talking about all the nasty parts. They had to wash it before it was offered. The book of Leviticus goes through great lists to describe things as clean and unclean. You can't enter into a place of worship without being willing to prep the innermost parts of yourself. Before you sacrifice yourself. Let me say that again. You cannot enter into a space of worship. Because worship is fire. Worship, worship desires to burn something up. You can't enter into that place of worship. If you're not willing to be touched by the fire. Now, see we want transformation. But we don't want to go in. To worship, like we don't, we don't want it to. Like I just wanted to change a little bit of me, not all of me. You gotta at least, like, even if you come, like you might have came in here broken and got stuff wrong. See, this is what's supposed to happen when people come to the house. You might have came in here broken and all that. That's fine. We know the word says, "Come as you are." But as you're coming, you got to be willing. You got to know your head. Okay, I'm coming up here and I know that if I do this, when I leave, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be the same. You got to be okay with that. You got to be okay that whatever happens when I step to this altar, whatever happens when I approach the cross, I'm going to be okay with it. But so many times we walk up here wanting something. But we don't want to give up everything that we just walked away from when we came. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You want to come up here, get some, and then go back to what you left. But when you come to the altar, you're supposed to be transformed. You can't pray about your relationship. You can't come to the altar, pray about your relationship, knowing that it's wrong, and then go back home to it. Because what if God say, let it go? What if God say at the altar, I'm going to take it away? And you, no, no, that's not what I meant, God. That's not what I meant when I asked you to fix it. That's not what I meant. 
I mean, I meant for you to fix him or, or fix her and make us get along. That's what I meant. But what if at the altar God does something that you're uncomfortable with? You can't ask him to fix something and then be wanting to go back to it. How do you know? Maybe if you just gave it up, he would fix it. And if he doesn't fix that, he's going to give you something better than what you gave up. Y'all got to go back to the beginning. The gift is when you offer something that's going to be better in his hands than your hands. We like to give him our mess. We don't want to give him the best of us. Lord, I thank you. Why would Jesus want you to present your sins to the Father? Why would Jesus want you to give the Father your sin? Give you. Why would you like they say they had to wash the entrail? They had to, they had to be ready to wash some stuff up and for something to change before the before the offering would be accepted. Jesus don't want to present the sin for you. He wants to present the new and surrender you. Y'all don't believe me. First Corinthians 1 and 8. Talking about Jesus, who shall confirm you until the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to present you blameless. We want to stay in our sins and just say, Jesus died for my sins, so I'm good. Philippians 2 and 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom he shines his lights in the world. You can't wait until you go to heaven and then say, okay, now it's time for me to be perfect. God wants you perfect now. He wants to present a new surrender you to the Father. When you come to the altar and you give your life to Jesus, then Jesus say, look, Dad, I have someone who believes in me. They are a new creature. They're not the old sin for them. He don't want to take you to the Father and you just like you was when you came to the altar. God like, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do? I can't. Darkness and light can't mix. What am I going to do with that? Now you might think that might sound harsh, but that is the purpose for Jesus. He bridges the gap. But do you really believe in Jesus? First, Thess- First Thessalonians 5 and 23. I want to make y'all, I don't want to make y'all see that there is a standard to live in this life. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, clean you up all the way, and I pray God your whole spirit and your soul and your body. So we ain't talking about you got cleaned up after the fact when you were heaven. No, he's talking about right now. He's talking about you, you, there's a standard for your body right now. The very God of peace clean you all the way And I pray, God, your whole spirit and your soul and your body be preserved blameless until Jesus come back. There is a standard for your life until he come back to get you. We like to take the easy way out and just say, okay, God still loves me anyway. Yes, he does. But that does not excuse you to live how you want to live. We approach the altar wanting God to take away and accept our mess. He's already done that. You just don't believe. God is saying if you offer yourself voluntarily and spontaneously, right? If you offer yourself voluntarily and spontaneously, right? If you have an intent and a desire to be changed in this moment, that's why I say I pray somebody is hearing this because maybe you thought you were saved. See, if I keep preaching to y'all like you saved, if I keep preaching to you like you saved, you're going to think you saved. Because Pastor, never, he never told us we went saved. He never explained what it meant to be saved. What I'm telling you today, you're supposed to change. If you have an intent and a desire to be changed in the moment, right, and not return to who you used to be, which is the literal, literal definition of repentance, which is to turn. 
If you have a delight, when you come to the Lord and you say, forgive me of my sin, that is repentance. That means you're supposed to turn away from your sins, not go back to them. How do you keep going back to sin and you say you saved? Y'all go home and wrestle with this. Go home and wrestle with it. And because if you wrestle with it for real, I, I guarantee you're going to find Jesus. You're going to find Jesus in what I'm telling you. The burning, when God used it, and, and, I'm, and I'm, don't start yet, JJ, I got a little bit more. I'm getting there. The burning used in this chapter is not the normal word used in other places in scripture. The burning is concerned with transformation, not incineration. When God burns something up, he is concerned with transformation. So for example, I know for years, Pastor T was concerned about her mouth and how she used her mouth. And we say things like, God, anything that's not like you, take it away. Well, see, when, when God burns something up, He's not going to make her silent. He's going to transform how she uses her mouth. He's not going to take her mouth away. See, a lot of times we have gifts and we have things that we're supposed to do. We just use them the wrong way. But if we begin to worship God for real, the very thing that we were using for evil in the world, he will transform it and use it for good. God is concerned with transformation, not incineration. If he wanted you to live, the word tells us that he does not desire that any of us go to hell. He wants us to be new creatures. Hell was not made for us. It was made for the, for, for the devil and every angel that follows Satan. It was not made for us. He does not want us to be incinerated. He wants us to be transformed. But the only way you're going to be transformed is if you worship him. God wants to transform you by the voluntary, by the voluntary and, and, and spontaneously dying to self. You can't be, you can't, you, you can't be uh, calculated about when you're gonna let God move in your life. I'm not old enough yet. I'm gonna wait on 25. And then God, you do what you want to do. You if, if God is calling you today, Amen. you gotta say, here I am today. Today, because if you calculate it with it, then you fake. You fake. You fake. If, if the Spirit is speaking to you today, harden not your heart. Today is the day that you can be saved. There's a song by William Murphy that a lot of us like says, Holy fire, burn away my desire. For anything that is not of you and is of me. But in all honesty, the idea is to burn me, Lord. Take me. Not just my desire. Take me. Take all of me. Take all of me. Burn all of me. Right? Transform me. I'm the sacrifice. I'm the sacrifice. We want God to burn up our mess without touching us. The three y'all know the three Hebrew boys, they were actually in the fire. They didn't just throw their mess in the fire or throw their faith, like, throw my faith in the fire, but I ain't getting there with it. You can throw, it, throw that in there, but I, like, but I ain't gonna get in the way, I'm not gonna get in there with it. They were actually in the fire. They voluntarily and spontaneously presented themselves to be killed by fire because of their faith. They basically said, whether I live or I die, I would not serve other gods. It was not an act of, of rebellion. It was an act of worship. They went up there. They went up there trying to rebel against the king in Babylon. They were, they were working, going about their normal life. But when, when, when the king tried to take their worship, they were like, you might well just kill me. I ain't trying to start nothing with you, but if you're going to try to take my worship, you might not be trying to start them with your spouse or your friends or your family. You ain't trying to judge. You're not trying to make it hard for other people. I ain't trying to talk bad about you, but when it comes between you and holiness, I'm choosing holiness every day. You can just go on wherever you're going. That's an act of worship. When you're willing to, to put everything on the line 
for God. Now I'm coming in, JJ. The idea of worship is to give something to God and not get something from God. How many of you approach the altar with the idea that, God, I need you to do something for me versus, God, I'm coming up here to do something for you? I'm coming up here to do something for you. I've been guilty of asking who needs something from God of, instead of asking who would like to present something to God. Voluntarily and spontaneously. If we begin to do that in this house, I believe it will transform our altar calls. It will transform our worship service. But the thing is, you have to be willing to go to that place. Pastor T can't make you get in that place. I don't care how hard Missionary Parker seen, she can't take you to worship. You got to want to go to worship. You got to let the song touch your heart. You got to open your mouth. You got to clap your hands. You got to cry out to God for what you need. By the time we get to the 10th and the 12th verse, he talks about sheep and goats with the same instructions for killing a bull. In verses 13 through 17, he talks about, or it talks about how to sacrifice a bird. And the whole idea behind all of that is that material possessions and status are all excuses in the process of worship. God said, I don't care whether you, you got enough money to afford a bull. If you can afford a sheep, fine. If you can afford a goat, fine. You can't afford none of that. You just you all you can bring is a pigeon. I'll take that. But I need what you I need what you offer to offer to me to be sincere. He said, I don't care about your background. I don't care about what you've been through. I don't care if, if you just got a, a little. Whatever it is, if you're willing to offer it to me wholly, voluntarily, and spontaneously, when the spirit say, give it up. When the spirit say, give up that music, give it up. When the spirit say, give up that food. When the spirit say, give up them clothes or them pants, whatever it is, regardless of whether other people are doing it or not. When the spirit convicts you, give it up. Voluntarily, without a fight. And God asks you to do stuff like that spontaneously. Because if you think long, you're going to think wrong. You're going to go and ask somebody their opinion. Girl, you ain't got to do all that. That's y'all. You in a cult. They ain't no folk. They, they religious. And you look at their life and their life so jacked up. But you take their advice. That's, that's, that's what the word saying the last days. They're going to be tickling ears. You going to want to hear what you want to hear because it makes you feel good. It gives you confirmation, but that's confirmation from Satan. Right? Think about, think about Jesus' response to Peter when he was telling him he was going to be crucified. And Peter was like, uh-uh, God, that ain't going to happen. That would have felt good to us. Like, you know what? You're right, Peter. I should lay down my life for them sinners. But no, Jesus says, Saint, get behind me. You telling me what I want to hear, but I'm listening to the Spirit. I got to give up my life. Because that's what the Spirit is telling me to do. I close with a reading of John 4 verses 21 through 24. And it reads, it says, Jesus said unto her, talking about the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. What that mean, Pastor? That mean I don't care what church you mean. If you want to go to heaven, you got to live holy. It Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, Koji, I don't care what it is. If you want to see Jesus, you got to live holy. Jesus told the hour coming when it don't matter whether you worship in here or you worship in there. He said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation of the, is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He don't want no... How many of y'all want fake love? 
What makes you think he won't fake worship? The word says he seeketh such to worship him in the spirit of truth. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must, must, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. for granted. 